This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we are looking at the Book of Judges and the cycle found therein. And we don't have a presentation today. No, we do not. But we do encourage you to load up your image search. We have verified that this works in Google, Bing, and DuckDuckGo, so it doesn't matter what you're using. <laughs> get it ready. Uh, I have not used DuckDuckGo. How is that? It's pretty great. Is it really? All right. It's not quite as good as Google, but they don't track any of your stuff, so... Well, that's nice. They keep no records of anything that anyone does. That is nice. Google, is you're on watch. Privacy uh, conscious people. All right, there you go. DuckDuckGo is the answer. I like I like it. Okay, so, yeah. So, what I love about this, I would walk into the book of Judges. Now, Judges is known, like, in all of my wonderful Bible college education, uh, anything that I, I even heard this outside of Bible college. So, I might have stumbled into this somewhere in a church Sunday school class or something, too, because I have been taught this on more than one occasion. When you study the book of Judges, everybody talks about the cycle that you find in the book of Judges. Without a doubt, there is a cycle there. Uh, but what I just love is how we talk about it. So if you do have a search engine pulled up where you can do an image search, we're looking for images here, not articles. So if you can do like a Google image search, uh, which is what I'm going to be doing here, and you type in Judges Sin Cycle, you're not even get the word sin finished before Google autofills. <laughs> I just love this. Uh, so go ahead and do a Google image search if you're at a computer for Judges Sin Cycle. All right? Now, I've done this, and you can see by the uh, pictures and the images that get pulled up, this is a pretty uh, this is a pretty rampant idea here. There's a few people that have pointed this out. <laughs> uh, I'm feeling too... Uh, to 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 I've got to a joking bone in my body today. There's some there's some rich graphical elements oh, in this search result. One of my favorite is the one with the flames and judges. For me, it's the third one from the beginning. The cycle of sin and judges with flames. Because when you talk about sin, you always need some good hell images. So you got that. I'm a little disappointed that one's only black and white. I know, I know it. But then you got you got more colorful versions on here. But you can just see this and. Um, so there are some images here that I have to hand it to them. Just say the cycle of judges, the judges cycle I'm seeing, but definitely more than not called the sin cycle or the cycle of sin in judges as seems to be the dominant heading at the beginning of most of these. And if you, if you just peruse some of these images here, you get the general idea. Um, uh, let's see, I'm going to pull up the one with the flames because it's one of my favorite. Uh, peace in the land, Israel serves the Lord, followed by Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. That leads to God punishing Israel, and Israel is enslaved, which this, of course, leads to Israel crying out to the Lord, which leads to God raising up a judge. This whole book is about judges. Shofetim in the Hebrew. And, and that judge is going to end up delivering Israel. So Israel is delivered and that restores peace to the land. But then this cycle just continues because when the peace is restored, Israel is going to do evil. God's going to punish them. They're going to cry out. God's going to raise up a judge and Israel is delivered. Now, this was definitely taught to me as the sin cycle in the book of Judges. And I mean, I don't want to throw too many stones here. I mean, it's obvious why we called it the sin cycle. But the fact that we call it the sin cycle... I believe Brent deceives the way that we, like, this is why we went all the way back in session one and started 
Uh, we wanted to begin in the beginning. We wanted to start in Genesis 1 where God starts. Because if we're going to look at the book of Judges and this cycle, like just take the heading of like the sin cycle or whatever graphic you might be looking at. If you just take the heading out of out of it, so forget whatever it says, a cycle of sin, sin cycle, um, the cycle of Judges, just take that out and just look at the cycle itself. Like just the pieces of whatever cycle you're looking at here. How come it's a sin cycle? Like, that's a very Genesis 3 way of looking at the story. Now, we wanted to start in Genesis 1 because, Brent, we believe that creation was. That's good. We believe that God, uh, how did he feel about his creation? He loves it. And uh, is he, he thinks ever going to... enough. Yeah. Is he ever going to forsake it? No. In fact, we, have, we even found like a story of Noah where God's like going to destroy the world, but by the end of the story, he says what? I'll never do it again. No, even if, even if like the whole world, like this is how God feels about it. So my, like my, my thundering question in my head, as I've always heard this taught time and time and time again, is why is this, why is this a sin cycle? When we see this cycle of the people in the book of Judges, how come our focus is on the sin and putting flames in the Judges graphic? Like how come this isn't on the redemption of God? How come this cycle isn't about God's patience and God's unbelievable long-suffering and his continual never-ending pursuit of his people? I remember in, um, I remember in, in the past years I've taught uh, Bima, I've, I've often made the, made the case, um, God's patience, he has endless patience. Now you're like, oh, Marty, hold on. I know the rest of my Bible. No, 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 hold on. God has endless patience as you try to figure out how to follow the path of God. Like this is Israel. They just entered the promised land. Remember our discussion the last two weeks about Joshua. I think we even mentioned this in our podcast. Judges may or may not be like an alternate rendering of history. Like perhaps this is one story was told as a as a conquest genre of Israel conquering the land, and maybe 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 judges is a more literal rendering of how it actually happened, more of a more of an assimilation and influencing an engagement of culture that way. Maybe not. Maybe it's exactly as you read it. Maybe it's a more literal history where. Um, uh, where there was a conquest followed right by the book of Judges, just like it reads. Uh, either way, I'm not here to tell you which way to, to lean. Um, but uh, as Israel gets into this land, the land of Canaan, and tries to figure out what it means to follow God without a king, without a political infrastructure, God has endless patience for his people. One of the things I tell my students all the time, God has endless patience for you as you try to figure out what it means to follow him. If you're earnestly trying to follow God, if you're seeking him and trying to do the right thing, God has endless patience for you. Endless. His patience is endless. It has no end. It, it, is, it is more bottomless than the fries at Red Robin. You like that? Uh, I could go for some of those right now. I know, right? I've, I didn't I've even realize that too. I those didn't are know. bottomless fries. They just keep bringing them. They're pretty good about time it. and time again. God's God's acceptance, God's God's patience. 
Like, I just don't know why when we look at the cycle, that's because there is a cycle. Without a doubt, we're going to look at it here in just a moment. Without a doubt, there is a cycle in the book of Judges. No arguing that. But how come when I look at it and all the teachers who taught me about it, it's about my sin and not God's patience? How come it's about my failure and not God's redemption? How come I look at this and I just see a cycle of how badly we screw up over and over and over again? And what I don't see in, in, in any of these graphics is how none of these graphics, hold on, I'm going to go back. None of them. We need to make one, Brent, so that it shows up on this Google search. Um, none of these graphics, none of them talk about the patience of God. Still scrolling. Cycle of sin, sin cycle, cycle of sin, writing the sin cycle. That, that must have been a fun sermon series, whoever did that one. Week one, writing the sin cycle. It's like a roller coaster. Sounds yeah. kind of fun, really. Like a theme park here. How come none of these graphics, none of them, none of them is about the goodness of God. None of them is about God's patience. No, like, I just, we read the Bible through the lens of Genesis 3. And it's impacted the way we read everything. Um, and so one of the things when we review uh, the prophets and the writings, when we get to Judges, the things that we're going to say when we're in discussion group and we're in class is we're going to say Judges and the word is redemption cycle. It's not sin cycle. It's redemption cycle. It's God's redeeming the world and he's got endless patience for it. Uh, so that's one of the things that we'll continually talk about. So we can actually see the cycle. I'm going to pick up here at the beginning of Judges. Uh, Judges, I'm going to be in chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So apparently, Brent, they didn't remember. Mm. They did not do what we said at the end of session one. Because somehow they forgot. They didn't remember from their fathers. It wasn't passed on. Nobody was telling the story of the standing stones. Somehow they forgot. This is not good. So we should do what we talked about in the last few podcasts. Um, Because they forgot. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to the raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. And then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of their hands and their enemies as long as as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways." And so right there, like those two paragraphs and Judges 2 pretty much describe in prose form what the cycles in front of us on our Google image search are trying to display. And it's not just here. You actually have the next reference to this cycle in uh, Judges 3. Go ahead and read that. 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for forty years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. All right. So we pick up from there. Listen to this. But once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So there's that same cycle yet again. Now I believe you have the next reference, do you not? Yeah, Judges 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Yavin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, is that how you say it? Yep. How would you say that in Hebrew? Deborah? Yep. Deborah? Deborah? <laughs> Deborah. I don't have no idea, actually. You caught me off guard. I should have looked that one up. Uh, it's like, it's you think it's like so common, like how, how yep. could you get it wrong? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Yeah, so the next reference we go to is, like, if this sounds like a broken record, it's because it kind of is a broken record. I could jump ahead to uh, Judges 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them to the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way uh, to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. But when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, I snatched you from the power of Egypt, from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So this, without a doubt, I mean, we're not critiquing the fact that this cycle exists. Please don't misunderstand me because we just looked at that cycle. I mean, it is word for word sitting right in the middle of every single story of every single judge. The author definitely wants you to pick up that there's a cycle here. I'm just wanting to ask the question, why is it that we always focus on the failure of man and not the persistent love and never-ending pursuit of God? That's 
what I find to be so stunning for me as I encounter this. So, um, when well, you talk about God's patience, like in this Judges 4 one, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron, which that's like, okay, so what? Right. And had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Right. They cried to the Lord for help. Right. Like it took them 20 years to remember. Right. Right. <laughs> Whew. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like any other God would have given up on them long ago and moved on to a different people. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this, and so one of the things I wanted to do is I just wanted to walk through the book of Judges. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on any of this, Brent, unless you've got some good questions as we go through here. Um, but uh, we're going to save some of this for discussion groups. It sounds like maybe we might be getting together in the middle of July here on the Palouse. This would be a great book. A lot of good stories in here, uh, to pull apart. Great, uh, question fodder to bring to your discussion group, wherever you're at listening to this podcast, or if you're on the Palouse, bring something to discuss in July. Cause there's lots of stuff here. So, I mean, we've talked about Othniel, we've talked about, uh, Ehud, Shamgar. These are the, these are not the famous judges per se, but then you've got Deborah, um, big story there. Uh, lots of good stuff, especially, um, maybe some good conversations about women, and their place in the world there. Uh, the the story about Gideon, really big story. The seems like the book of Judges seems to slow way down and all of a sudden take its time with the story of Gideon. Lots of good stuff in the Gideon story. We'll come back to that in a moment. Um, and then we've got some, you got some other stories. We've got Ziba and Zalmunna. Uh, that's kind of still in the midst of the Gideon story, which really doesn't end till chapter 9. And you got this really wacky story about Abimelech. Um, Jephthah, after Tola and Yair, you've got Jephthah. Uh, man, one of my favorite stories. Got a couple. Um, one of the things we show when we go over to Israel is we've got, uh, there is a there's a tear, a weed over there called Shibboleth. Um, or Shibboleth. And depending on your... Um, that ancient world, depending on where you are from, which region you are from over there in the land of Palestine and Israel, uh, the way you said that word was different. And so in that story of Jephthah, uh, you're going to read about people trying to sneak over the Jordan. And one of the things that they do to identify uh, who's coming over the Jordan, because everybody's saying they're from the one side, which isn't going to get them killed. Um, (laughs) The guards are holding up this tear and saying, what is this? (laughs) <laughs> and depending on how you pronounce that word, uh, either gets you passage or uh, passage to the afterlife, one of the two. Um, so <laughs> there you have it. Um, and then, of course, obviously the vow of Jephthah, which, oh, geez, so many questions arise. You know, he, he asks God for deliverance against his enemies and makes this vow. Really good wrestling match here. We're going to talk later in our study about binding and loosing. And we're not going to talk about about it here. We're going to talk, talk about it later, but much later, much later. <laughs> um, but uh, what an interesting story when it comes to um, binding and loosing, or or maybe the better conversation here might be the weightier, the weightiest law. What law is weightier than the other? Because he makes a vow. He says, "God, if you'll if you'll save me, if you'll help deliver me from the hands of my enemies, well, I will sacrifice to you the first thing that walks out of my gate." When I get home now, people say, well, that was a stupid thing to say, but understanding in this world, their cattle, their livestock, the things that, 
actually are are closest to the gate in their homes, whether they're a insula-shaped horseshoe, there's a courtyard in the middle, or more likely in this part of the world, it was a multi-story dwelling where the family lives in the upper floors, and the bottom floor is reserved for your cattle, livestock. He's just thinking, God, you bring to the door what you want me to sacrifice. Well, whoopsie-daisy at the end of the story, his daughter comes so anxious for daddy to be home, comes running out of the gate first. And now all of a sudden he's got a problem. He told God, he made a vow to God, uh, he would sacrifice whatever came out of the gate, and it's his daughter. Now in the story, the impression is he goes through and sacrifices the daughter, giving her time to go about and wail in the mountains. Lots of questions get raised about whether or not he actually sacrifices the daughter. But in this conversation ends up being a really good um what does it mean to observe the weightier commandment? When life hands you situations where two commandments are conflicting, in this case, don't murder, or at the very least, love each other, <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself, and do not go back on the oaths you made to God. God won't hold you, hold you blameless. Which law is more weightier in this instance? Is it to preserve the life of the daughter or is it to go through and fulfill the vow? And that's one of the great lessons that we get to wrestle with in the story of Jephthah. I, I would hope that most of us might say, I think preserving the life of the daughter may have been, and, and there might be enough room in the story. Some have argued this to me in class. I, I like the argument. Um, there may be enough room in the story to say he didn't actually go all the way through with the sacrifice. Um, I have not bumped into a whole lot of midrashic teaching or oral tradition around this story. Um, that doesn't mean it's not out there. It just means I haven't spent time looking. Uh, but a great wrestling match um, to help make it a little practical. Uh, after Jephthah, we end up having the story of Shimshon. We say Samson. Um, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Why would you say Samson when you could say Shimshon? Exactly. Exactly. When once you know once you know that his name Shimshon, you never go back to Samson. No. Shimshon. Oh my goodness. So Shimshon. Great. We talk about this story a lot when we're over in Israel. So part of me is going to leave this alone in order to save that conversation for those that go on the trip with me. Um but the other thing is that I have this really uh fun teaching um that has very much impacted me about forgiveness. That was kind of based on the story of Samson. It's a teaching called Drop the Jawbone. And I originally heard it from Rob Bell when I was visiting uh, his church in Michigan years and years and years ago. Uh, and that teaching impacted me deeply. And I took that teaching, I came back and I, I passed it on and I taught it to others. Apparently, I have passed it on in the past too well. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I actually got accused on my blog a couple of years ago of just flat out plagiarism, um, which it wasn't plagiarism. It's nothing I'm copying, but it is most definitely his teaching. I quoted at the beginning, it was his teaching. It totally came from him. Uh, and apparently it wasn't good enough for some people. So rather than get into trouble here, because since I wrote that blog post, uh, it was actually like three or four weeks after I got accused by my commenter on the blog with uh, plagiarism. He actually did, he did a new podcast on the Robcast about it. So it's out there. I'll, I'll actually let you find that, Brent, and you can link that. I will certainly link it up. It's out, it's out there. So uh, Dropping the Jawbone is the name of that. Um, definitely his original teaching that impacted me. 
And then uh, I can, that's kind of been combined in my teaching with the teaching that I had from Ray, which has Ray Vanderlaan, uh, which has been encapsulated really, really well in a, in a book by Brad Gray. Uh, the whole book is about the story of Samson. It's called Make Your Mark. Make Your Mark by Brad Gray. And uh, it is just a fantastic work. Um, just highly recommend that book. It's a really practical, that's not heady and super academic or anything. It's just very practical, very down to earth story of Samson. And, and you're going to learn a ton about the context and the Hebrew scripture and the backstory. And so I'll just recommend that book and you can link it. Um, cause I, I love the story of Samson. That would be a fantastic discussion, uh, group story for us to go over. And if nobody has other questions, that's what I'm going to default to because I um, just love the story, uh, the lesson on forgiveness that comes out of that. But uh, And then, of course, the, story, the book of Judges end, end, ends with uh, this um, uh, story of this Levite. He's got a concubine, and it's like this retelling of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like if you're, if you're reading the story in Judges, he visits the town uh, in Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And they, they come and they, they do to the concubine what the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are. It's like, it's like word for word the same story. Like this is how, um, this is how far the people have digressed, devolved. This is how much they've forgotten where they've come from. They've forgotten their story so much they're actually repeating the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And 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 maybe you're sitting there going, well, it sounds to me like it is a sin cycle. Well, here's the funny thing. At the end of the book of Judges, God doesn't forsake his people. Like he's not given up on them. When we when we rejoin the story in 1 Samuel, he's still there. He's still being patient. Even when they show up and start asking for a king, God's not forsake. It's just the this is a this is just as much about God's patience as it is. Um, now, if, if you do end up looking over the book of Judges and you are astute, you may wonder if, in fact, there may or may not be some chiasms taking place here. It's interesting because um, if you're looking at the book of Judges, I have not gotten this to work out perfectly. I have not found a chiasm necessarily in the book of Judges, but I'm working on it. There's got to be some parallelisms going on. The first half of Judges has, you know, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Short. And then Deborah, kind of medium story. And then Gideon, like a big chunk of judges, multiple chapters about Gideon. And then you've got a little story of Abimelech, kind of a medium-sized story of Abimelech. And then uh, Jephthah, Tola, Yair. Um, they actually came before Jephthah. And then all of a sudden you've got Shimshon and Samson. And this all of a sudden multiple chapter story again. I feel like there's some parallelism there, and I haven't necessarily made a whole lot out of that yet, but I'll give it to my listeners to wrestle with and see if I've learned incredible things from my students that have come up with stuff when they've looked at it before. Um, there is, I did notice when we did this Google image search, Brent, one of the images that I've pulled up here is of a table that actually shows uh, the enemy, the years of bondage, the judge that rescues them. And the deliverance and rest. Uh, Brad Gray will point this out in that book I recommended, Make Your Mark. Um, but you can actually see, I think there's something going on in the narrative here about there's eight years of bondage to the Mesopotamians, and then Othniel gives them 40 years of rest. 18 years to Moab, and Ehud gives them 80 years, a double portion of rest. Deborah, 
after 20 years of bondage to the Canaanites, gives them 40 years of rest. After seven years of bondage to the Midianites, Gideon gives them 40. So we've got 40 years of rest, 80 years of rest, 40 years of rest, 40 years of rest. Jephthah, interestingly enough, we were wrestling with the obedience of Jephthah or maybe lack thereof. He only gets six. That's interesting. Six years of rest. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? And I don't know if there's something there, but it's interesting. It's interesting that they are in 18 years of bondage to Ammon. A community of evil, perhaps. It's just so, I don't know if there's something there, but I'm wrestling with that. And then, of course, Samson, they're in bondage for 40, that, that is by far the most they've been in bondage. They're in bondage twice as much as they're delivered. Samson is the only judge outside of Jephthah. Now, we're, we're told about other judges as well, but these are the judges that we're given all the details for, the years of bondage and the deliverance and rest. Uh, Samson only gives them 20 years of deliverance and rest. Almost as if Samson doesn't, like Samson, by the way, we didn't, we're not going to get into it, but Samson's like the worst judge of all of them. Like he, he's supposed to be a Nazarite. He can't fulfill his vow. Like he, he's the worst Nazarite in the world. He doesn't do anything that God asks him to do. Uh, it's not till the end of his life after his eyes have been taken. He's totally kind of been maybe in a sense shamed, his honor robbed. Does he ever accomplish the thing that God wants to accomplish through his life? And it doesn't seem to actually take because he never wants to live up to the call that God actually wants to put on his life. Which is interesting because Samson is from what tribe, Brent? Can you remember? Oh, I cannot. It's from a tribe of Dan. Oh, Okay. Now, can you remember Dan from our last conversation with the Crossroads of the Earth? Dan's supposed to be right there. And where do they end up later? Way out in the mountains. This is far after Samson, but they never had the leader that they were supposed to have in Samson. Like a lot of these judges, like we can critique their methods. Their methods are pretty brutal and pretty um, ancient and barbaric, we might call it, maybe. Um, I think they fit the historical context of their day. We might critique their methods, but they seem to give Israel full portions of rest. Othniel, 40 years. Ehud, 80 years. Deborah, 40 years. Gideon, 40 years. Samson can't seem to pull it off. They only get 20 years of rest. And by the time the book of Judges is over, in fact, I'm looking at it right here. Judges 18 is the chapter that my subheading says the Danites settle in Laish, which is going to be all the way up north. And that's where they move. And it just, there is a narrative here, I think is what I'm inviting my listeners to notice. There is a larger narrative happening in Judges rather than just a bunch of smattered stories about a bunch of sinful people who are stuck in a sin cycle. This is God trying to teach his people with endless patience, endless, endless patience, trying to teach his people how to walk the path well. And and at this point, it's not working, but God's not losing patience. He's going to lose patience later, not because his patience runs out, but because his people become what, Brent? We talked about it before in the past. His people are going to become the the anti-story. They're going to become the anti-story. Like God has a story he's trying to tell. And we said we could wrap Torah up in one word, Brent. What was it? Partnership. He's, he's found a partner. He's trying to tell a story. He's got a partner. And when this partner becomes the anti-story, 
it's going to call God to action. God has to do something about that because he's going to put the world back together. It's not that God's run out of patience. It's not that God doesn't love his people anymore. It's not that all of a sudden we found the, the bottom to our bottomless fries at Red Robin. It's not that. It's that, it's that God has to actually redeem the story. And when his partner starts working against him, it's one thing. I can't, I guess I'm maybe kicking a dead horse here. So important for my college students, though. It's one thing to be trying to follow God and making mistakes. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, go go fail. Go make mistakes. Go try your darndest to follow God. God's got endless patience for you. Now, you start working against God's purposes, like rebellion, <laughs> like choosing to follow your own self-preservation narrative and agenda. It's one thing to do it because you don't understand or you're making mistakes or you're trying your hardest but failing. That's one thing. God's got endless patience for that. But you start with, with knowledge of what God's trying to accomplish. You start working against that despite the warnings that God will send to your life. And now we're having a whole different story entirely. But alas... I'm getting ahead of myself by quite a bit. It's fairly normal. <laughs> I just didn't want to talk about this redemption cycle and how all my listeners going, well, Marty, I know how the story ends. I know where the prophets and Babylon and God's judgment, I know where this goes. Uh, that is not God running out of patience. That is God pursuing the cry of the oppressed because eventually the cry of the oppressed in this book, and Judges, Brent, where is the cry coming from? From Israel. From Israel. See, God's people are crying. And yeah, they're, they're crying out because of their own failure and their own frustrating mistakes and their own uh, synchronization with the pagan culture. Yeah, absolutely. So they're at, they're at fault for their own cry in this book, but they're crying out and God's rescuing them. What's going to happen later is God's people are going to build an empire. And all of a sudden, it's going to be the people under Israel's thumb that start doing the crying. And that's where God says, oh, you've become Pharaoh. You've become Egypt. You're no longer a partner. You're now the anti-story, and we got to fix that. So don't discount this redemption cycle. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm passionate about this. I can't stand the fact we look at this, and it's, ugh, sin cycle, flames. Oh, boy. Lots of good things to discuss here, though. Lots of good stories. So hopefully we'll see you for discussion group. Absolutely. And if you got your own discussion group, pick up those books, listen to some of the podcasts. Should have plenty of material that we have left available for, for open discussion. So if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Salmon. You can find me on Twitter at EIBCB. Check out our Baymod Discipleship Facebook page uh, for updates from Marty throughout the summer. Uh, you can find more details about the show at BamaDiscipleship.com. And we really appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you again soon.